Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. When we would then fall or fail or uh, stumble, it was really hard because it felt like, oh man, am I right back there again at the beginning? But we weren't. And it was, it's so helpful to have somebody a little bit further along to say, no, there's just something here you need to learn and get up and keep going because there is a good place in this journey. And if you keep walking through that challenge or that difficulty, you're going to get to a better place. My guest today is named Ann Visser. She is a life coach, speaker, and trainer with For Better Forever. Welcome to the show, Ann. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really honored and I'm excited to be here today. Um, I was listening into your story earlier and uh, appreciate you sharing your story a year into your podcast. So that's really exciting. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show today. Excited to uh, to have this conversation. And, you know, the, the people that are listening right now don't know this, but we had attempted to do this before and we got about halfway through and then we had some technical difficulties. So this is going to be our second time uh, going through this. So I, I know the beginning of your story and I feel like you kind of left me on a little bit of a cliffhanger when your internet went out. So I'm excited to have this conversation again and, and hopefully get to the conclusion of your story. It was a cliffhanger, wasn't it? I'm glad to be back. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So my name is Ann Visser and I've been working with individuals and organizations for over 20 years. My favorite title really is Nana. I am Nana to 11 beautiful grandchildren, and uh, there's nothing like it in the world is to be a grandmother. Um, but I'm, I'm also a farmer's wife, and I am a coach, speaker, and trainer with For Better Forever, which I co-founded with my husband. And I'll share a little more of that story as we go along. And so I've had the opportunity to uh, coach and teach and train young people and students. I have a, a wonderful program that's been written by Dr. John Van Epp. It's called How to Avoid Falling for a Jerk or Jerkette. And I just love that program. And I've been gifted to be able to take that program into jail, our local jail, and, and into a recovery home for addicts to help them grow from the inside out and to surround themselves with good people because... We all need good people around us to, to live a good life, uh, whether it means sobriety or whether it means, you know, to uh, pursue our dreams and the things that, that, that have been put on our hearts to pursue. 
And so I've been doing that for over 20 years now, and um, I'm excited to be here today to share more of my story with you, Brett. Oh, that is fantastic. And I'm so excited to hear more about your story and more about the program that you, it sounds like you've developed over time and some other things that you've adapted. Um, I mean, who, who couldn't use a little bit of guidance as far as relationships go? I don't know about you, but for me, I have definitely struggled in the relationship department in the past and I still, I, I still have struggles to this day, you know, whether it be marital struggles or coworker struggles or just any kind of relationship, any, anyone that we spend any substantial amount of time with, there's always potential for conflict and it can be difficult and uncomfortable to work through some of those things. So I'm excited to hear more. Yes. Well, and this is the reason why we co-founded for better forever. Our marriage crashed and uh, we needed help and support but we didn't start out that way, Brett. We, I was 15 when I first met him. I shamelessly chased him. I just wanted a date. <laughs> and then three years later, we married. And um, I still remember the photographer said to us, I have never seen a couple look at each other the way the two of you look at each other. And it's because we were just so crazy in love. And then... Uh, one month after we were married, I was pregnant and very, very sick on the couch. And now I know that that is, it's hard to start marriage that way. I mean, I knew it was hard then, but now I know why. We're doing a lot of work in those first few years of marriage, learning how to communicate and how to conflict and healthy ways, learning more about each other and uh, our pain points and the things in our past that are hurting us. And, and so, but we started with me on the couch and that's not a good way to start marriage. <laughs> And then fast forward, we had five children in six years. And so we had this really busy home life, really busy home life. I know just before we started, Brett, you were talking about naps and I know how much I look forward <laughs> to naps. It's the best time of the day. <laughs> right. And then my husband, he was new to farming and he had come home on the family farm and he was learning, uh, learning from his dad and, and it was, he would come home frustrated so we had these external pressures, but then we had these internal pressures because neither of us, we, we did not know how to communicate well, and we did not know how to conflict or how to fight well. And so because of that, there was this emotional space that grew in our marriage. We were not talking about the things that we needed to talk about in order to be good together. And so it came to this moment where we sat in our farm truck outside our favorite restaurant. And I looked at him and I said, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't do marriage like this anymore. I said, like, we're just keep hurting each other and we never resolve anything. And I'm so hurt and I'm so tired. And somehow that landed in his heart in a way that it hadn't before. I hadn't said it like that before. And it disrupted what was happening in our relationship. And, and he then opened up and shared what was going on inside of him. And I somehow had missed what was happening. And I think because I was so busy caring for all the little needs that, that our children had and then, and just trying to keep up with everything that I missed his pain. And that night we agreed to get the help that we needed in order to get well. And I tell my people, it's the bravest and best thing in the world that you can do is to get help. And I tell them it's not 
if you need help, it's always when you need. I think that we all come to a place at some point in time when we all need help and we needed help. Mm -hmm. And so that night we uh, recommitted to each other to get that help. And the very next day uh, I found a book and we started to devour that book and we learned so much about how to communicate and, and how to that actually conflict was the doorway to intimacy. And I was like, no way. I don't want to fight. I hate fighting. I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> I don't want to fight. And, but he was, uh, he was as avoidant and fighting as well as I was. And so this was, it put us on a personal growth journey and a relationship growth kind of both at the same time to become better together. We both needed to learn new skills and then we needed to practice those skills to get better together. And so very soon afterwards, we um, looked at each other as we found new hope. And then we're on the journey because it's both, it's a decision and then it's a process <laughs> as so many things are, right? A decision and then a process. And we looked at each other and we said, we can't keep this to ourselves. There must be other people out there like us who are looking for these skills that we've been learning and that we've been growing in. And maybe we can share that with other people. And so that's when For Better Forever was co-founded as a nonprofit at that time to help others. I love that. And I think that that's something that, that we in the recovery community have in common is I feel like once we get through these struggles and we've been in that place with the struggle, the natural reaction is to then want to turn around and help other people that are in that same situation to be able to say, Hey, I was able to get out. Here's, here's how I did it. You know, like offering that hand up. I love that you guys did that as well. Founding the nonprofit and, and trying to help other couples that were struggling with similar issues. I discovered from working at the home for addicts, Brett, that there are so many parallels between my marriage story and an, an addict story. Just as you said, that leadership piece of once you've received some healing and some growth, and then it's time to kind of reach out and, and help someone else along the path, which also made us better together. And, and perhaps you found the same as well, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. <laughs> every Sunday night before we would teach a class, we would disagree. <laughs> and we had to deal with our own stuff first before we'd stand in front of other people authentically and say, okay, we just disagreed, but we're here tonight, <laughs> you know, to be real and honest. And there's something so beautiful about that in the recovery world. Um, and there's so much power in it, too, because you've walked where that other person has walked and they see it's so encouraging and it's so full of hope to see someone who's a little bit further ahead and 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 they can they've walked that walk and they can show the way here's what we did and you know sometimes i say i don't know if it'll work for you but what do you have to lose to try it right <laughs> exactly exactly i think that, that there's so many parallels like you're saying you know and it's so encouraging to see people a little bit further on the path that you're on to know that it's possible. And then, you know, when they, when they give you that encouragement and like you said, here's what I did, it might not work for you, but I'm, I'm willing to tell you how I got to where I am. And I think that's the exact message that I try to bring when it comes to recovery. 
I'll share my story and let people know how I did it. And I'm not saying this is the only way to recover. This is the only way you're going to get better, but here's what worked for me. What do you have to lose? You can try my way. If it doesn't work, find another way, but you know, at least, at least putting forth that effort, like trying to become that better person, trying to better your life, trying to be okay with who you are and, and deal with some of your issues. Like, you know, as long as we're all moving in that same direction, I think that we're, we're able to help each other. Yes, absolutely. Another parallel that I discovered, Brett, is that resilience piece. Um, As we're getting well, I noticed that at first, the time frame was very short between um, like two steps forward and two steps back, (laughs) Uh, two steps forward and one step back, and then four steps forward and two steps back. And so the time frame between when we would kind of dip again and think, oh man, we're back there again in that very same place, but we weren't. We were learning new skills again and failure or messing up or being challenged was a big part of growth and a big part of learning. And then I noticed those spaces became much, much further apart as we were going along on our growth journey, where we went for a a, significant amount of time and we were good together and then we would crash again and and needed to learn more about what was underneath that um where we were disagreeing in not such good ways and fighting it in ways that weren't healthy or avoiding fighting which was is more our tendency is to avoid the conflict rather than to actually face it head on. And so those spaces became much further and further apart. But then I remember when we would then fall or or fail or uh, stumble, it was really hard because it felt like, oh man, am I right back there again at the beginning? But we weren't. And it was, it's so helpful to have somebody a little bit further along to say, no, there's just something here you need to learn and get up and keep going because there is, there is a good place in, in this journey. And if you keep walking through that challenge or that difficulty, you're going to get to a better place. And now it just doesn't happen anymore, Brett. And, and when it does, we kind of laugh about it and we, talk about it and we repair the relationship so much faster and get back on our feet so much quicker. Uh, I I would love to hear your take on that journey and that growth for sobriety as well. I agree with, with what you're talking about there about, you know, in the beginning it's two steps forward one step back. I feel like that was similar to my journey. The first two years that I was in recovery, I wasn't fully committed to the idea of recovery. I wasn't at a place where, I really had the head knowledge and understood like what I was doing and I hadn't really formed a lot of relationships with people that were on that same path. And I wasn't completely sure that I wanted to be on that path myself. You know, I was in some legal trouble and so I was kind of forced to at least fake it and, and kind of go through the motions, but I hadn't gotten to that place where I was fully committed to it. So I, I think that my journey was similar in that, you know, I was, I was doing some of the right things. I was, going to meetings and I was doing things that people in recovery do, but then at the same time I hadn't fully committed. So then I would have those relapses. I would slip. I would have those little mistakes. And it took a while for me to get to that place where I became ready to make a change in my life. And then once I was ready, 
I feel like I already had that foundation there. I already knew where to go. I already knew who the people were that I needed to, uh, you know, be intimate with and, and get to know on a deeper level. I already kind of knew who was actually doing it and who was just there going through the motion. So once I was ready to do it, I was in a position where I, I kind of already had was set up for it, but I totally agree. And I think a lot of people, especially early on can get discouraged by that. You know, they think like I made this decision. I'm never going to use again. I'm never going to drink again. And then they have a relapse or they have, you know, something come up that they don't know how to deal with. And they make that mistake and they think I'm, I'm just never going to get this. This is never going to happen. You know, there's no way that I can be where this person is with five, 10, 15 years from the majority of the people that I've talked to. And I've done, Oh, 140 some odd episodes. Now I would say maybe, maybe 5% of those people did it their first try and made up that made their, made up their mind that I'm not going to use again. I'm not going to drink again. And then never, you know, they, they achieved abstinence and they just never went back. But I would say the vast majority part of their story is that struggle in the beginning of, you know, you're not going to be perfect. I got to keep trying to this, you know what? And the other thing that I would say too to people that are in that spot where they're struggling and they feel like they're not making any progress is to look for the lessons that you're learning when you're making those mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes over and over again. Every time you make that mistake, you need to figure out why that happened and, and use that as a learning tool to why did why did I do this behavior? You know, when this problem in my life arises, why do I instantly turn to this behavior? You know, why do why why is that my default? And after you've done that a few times, you can start to kind of paint a picture of, you know, when I'm really stressed out or when I'm in this situation, I want to escape when I'm around this particular family member. I can't, I, I'm not comfortable and I feel like I have to hide or when I'm in this social situation, I'm not comfortable being myself and I need to escape. And, and like you said, it's just, it's, it's little steps, but as long as you continue on, in that direction, you keep putting one foot in front of the other and continue to make different mistakes. You're on the right path. And eventually it'll all just kind of come together. And one day you'll get to this point, or at least for me, I got to this point where I'm like, I, I no longer want to get high. I no lo I no longer want to get drunk. There's nothing in me that is even attracted to that. Like I have no desire at all, but mm -hmm. that took several years to get to that place. And I know that if I'm not vigilant and I don't continue on this path and continue to learn and grow that it's easier for me to go back to that. But I know that at this moment while we're recording this episode, I have no desire and, and I never thought I would be at that place. I didn't think that was possible. That's so exciting, Brad. I'm so excited for you and for your family um, and for the hope that you give others to who are on this journey uh, for sobriety. One of the other things that um you really, you, you um, alluded to there is, uh, and that we had to learn, I had to learn was to be honest with myself that um, in part of the skill set that I was missing was I am a recovering people pleaser. And that didn't become clear in the beginning about why we were struggling and why I had kind of lost myself within my marriage. And that ability to be able to be honest with myself. I, I wasn't even aware of that in the beginning. And so I had to learn to be honest about who I am in the marriage and actually step up to be responsible 
and take that responsibility for myself, for my actions and for my words. And I wasn't doing that in the beginning. And that piece is so vital for our well-being as a couple because he can't possibly know who I am. And knowing is such an important part of marriage. And for him to be able to know who I am, what I like, what I want. And I would keep that to myself and fold or cave to him. And that was more about me. He's very strong, but that was more about me. And it's very easy to blame somebody else when you let, I was letting him be the fall guy all the time, right? It was terrible. I was letting him be the fall guy so he could make decisions and choices and I could be unhappy with them. And then if they didn't work out, I could blame him. Mm-hmm. It was very handy, but not very, not a very good thing for marriage and for connection. And so that piece of being honest with myself was so vitally important for us to be well together, for me to be honest about my people pleasing and how it was impacting and affecting our marriage. And that was quite a journey. And um, it was some time ago that we were walking on a beach actually in, in Mexico and we were on a holiday and, and he looked at me and he said, how about you decide everything that we do today. It's all, it's you, you make every decision, like where we sit or where we eat or what we do, what activities we do. It's you can, you get to decide. And we we were taking a few steps further. And then I said to him, I think we should do Mexican tonight. What do you think? And he looked at me and he said, it's, it's your decision. You get to choose. I did that for the rest of the day. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm still doing this. I'm still people pleasing. And that sounds like such a small moment. It sounds like such a small thing, but people don't know us unless we speak up and say, you know what? I really don't like that. You know, I really don't want that. This is what I like. This is who I am. This is what's important to me. This is what I value. When you go even deeper into that, those things are so important to share with our people. And that's a big part of the communication skill that I needed to learn is to be honest with myself, first of all, and then to be honest with him and the people around me, my kids, so that they know who I am and what I'm about and what I like and what I want. Again, just another parallel with with recovery that you just shared there, that self-honesty. That's one of the keys. It's so, so crucial, especially early on in recovery, to learn to be honest with yourself. You have to be able to fully accept the situation that you're in. And I know in my own, and I, I like to speak for myself because I don't know exactly what anyone else has gone through and their exact feelings or emotions or how things played out for them. But for me personally, it was being able to look at the wreckage of my life, see the situation that I'm in and be honest with myself because for the longest time, there were always excuses. It couldn't be the drugs. It couldn't be it's this person, like you were saying, it's this person's fault. If this situation had gone differently, you know, all the what ifs and the if onlys and, and all those things. And it took that practice of being honest with myself and being able to look at the decisions that I've made and take ownership and say, I made those decisions. Now I have to live with the consequences of those decisions. And I can either sit here and have a pity party and, be in this negative space or I can pick myself up and I can try to do better than what I've done and, and, you know, try to fix the mistakes that I've made. And I think that that's one of the, one of the really important things that we have to do, especially in early recovery, but we have to continue to do that 
as we go through this path, as we go through life. And it's such an important skill to have to be able to be honest with ourselves. And then the other parallel that I'm hearing you say now, Brett, is that it's a journey and that mm-hmm. it's not a destination. It's that you're still on that journey as I absolutely, am too. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I don't actually ever want to get off this train. It put me on a, like a personal growth journey that is so exciting to me. Um because the possibilities become endless. Like how far, you know, the question isn't, I don't want to arrive at a, some sort of destination. I want to know how far can I go? How far can I go? And what are the possibilities? One of the skills that we were missing, I'm a people pleaser and he can be too. And because we were not having these important conversations we needed to have where actually I wanted to keep the peace, but so did he. And so we discovered that having these really important conversations, I call them pivotal conversations, was just vitally important for our relationship and that keeping the peace wasn't working and that keeping important pieces of information from him because I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want him to see that vulnerability because I think vulnerability is really risky because if I share something with you, that's really important to me and you kind of ignore it or you, you know, you kind of toss it away. Like it's some sort of piece of garbage or something. Then I feel like naked and I feel vulnerable and, and it's not a nice feeling. And so even though he's a good man, I wasn't trusting him enough to be that vulnerable with him And I discovered that that was keeping us, that was creating that emotional space that I didn't like. And that if I wanted that connection, that deep connection, I was going to have to be honest and vulnerable with him in these conversations, these really pivotal conversations, so that we could be, be closer and feel more closely connected to one another. And so we like to talk about these pivotal conversations. You know, they're the conversations we actually have every day. He just popped down here for a minute and and I said to him, I have eight minutes and then I need to get on with Brett. So that's a pivotal conversation where he says, okay. And, you know, it's just a little thing, but we could just chat and chat and chat. And then I would be late for this meeting and people pleasing him and then kind of people please you. And that's no way to run a life. That's no way. And that ownership piece of, taking responsibility for this is what I have. This is the energy I have. This is the time I have. That piece we discovered is really important for these pivotal conversations so that we know where each other are and what's going on in our lives. That helps us to feel more closely connected and more bonded, which is interesting to me that that piece of vulnerability was so important and that skill to be able to recognize this is who I am, this is where I am, and then be able to give that to someone else helps me to feel more connected. Yeah, and I, I've shared about it before on the podcast about about that intimacy and not really understanding what that was in the beginning of my recovery journey, not really, honestly, not ever really being vulnerable and intimate with anyone before, and then having that first sponsor and building that level of trust. You know, it took time, but it was like little pieces, like here, I'm going to throw you one one little thing, you know, just below surface level and just kind of see how you react, see, you know, see what your response is and, and just slowly over time building that relationship and being able to, to be more open and share deeper, darker things that I never thought I'd share with somebody. And then, you know, never 
receiving any kind of negativity from from that sponsor and having him say things like I've been there too or I've had a similar situation or you know all, but always in an encouraging way and that that was really really crucial for me to begin to feel like I could trust and be open with other people so I totally totally agree with you on the importance of of that intimacy and being vulnerable and it it's so uncomfortable when you first start doing it and you just I don't know about you, but I just wanted to like curl up in a little ball and just disappear. But the feelings didn't kill me. And and on the other side of it, I've benefited from that in so many ways. So that initial fear and, and all those emotions that come with it, you know, it, it ends up being worthwhile after you go through that and you can look back on it and see like, okay, I can be intimate with my wife now because I've, 10 years ago practiced with my sponsor and started opening up and being vulnerable. And that's led me on this path where I can now be vulnerable and intimate with other people and not keep everything at surface level. And, you know, like looking back on all that and thinking, you know, I've even thought about before if I hadn't gone through that process, would I have even been in a place where I would be able to date someone and it be anything serious where it then turned into marriage and family and, you know, my life that I have today. I mean, who knows? I, I can't, I can't time travel or predict what would happen, but I feel like those pieces were so important for me to learn that I was able to then use those same skills in other areas of my life. I love how you worked with your sponsor to learn those skills because we're clumsy in the beginning. Uh, and this is a big part of what I do with, in coaching is help people to learn these skills and then practice these skills. But we're clumsy in the beginning. But you did that with your sponsor where uh, in a romantic situation, it's easier to get hurt. And, and you were already becoming proficient in, in those skills of, of communicating and being vulnerable so that by the time you had um, someone that you were interested in, you were already good at learning, at, at opening up and being vulnerable with her. And that's a beautiful thing. I love how you described that building of trust too. You gave them a little bit and saw if, if that they were really trustworthy with your, whatever it was you were giving them, that little investment that you're giving them, then you would give them more. That's a beautiful picture of, of building trust little by little, instead of just, you know, not everybody is trustworthy with um, the things that are most important to us. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And there was a book that I read several months ago and and she described like different levels of friendship and she was talking about how it's okay to have surface level friendships and then you have another group of people that you're more intimate and more vulnerable with and then you have those one or two like core people that know everything about you but it's okay not every friendship has to be this intimate thing where they know everything about you it's okay to have people that you just go to a sporting event with or you go to you know hang out with on the weekend and you guys don't really know a whole lot about each other beyond like surface level like my coworkers don't need to know everything about me. My my boss doesn't need to know every gory detail about my past, which I think the majority of my coworkers have listened to at least the episode where I share my story. So I feel like a lot of them know, but you know, they don't have to know every little thing about me and that's okay. Like it's okay to have different levels of friendship and and like you said, testing those waters out, learning how to be intimate. It, it's difficult and 
and I definitely wasn't perfect at it. You know, I feel like even once I got to that place where I was comfortable with sharing more and being more vulnerable, there were times where I would overshare and I would tell people <laughs> things that they probably didn't need to know about me. And then it's like, Oh, you could kind of tell like, Oh, they probably didn't need to know that. I, I <laughs> this was probably a surface level friendship and I overshared a little bit. Like let's pump the brakes. Like I told my wife on her first date that I was in recovery and I just laid that out on the table. Like I'm in recovery. If you have a problem with that, like let's, you know, we'll finish dinner and, and we'll go our separate ways. And she was okay with it. And here we are, <laughs> you know, we're coming up on our, Oh, let me do the math four years, our four year anniversary for being married. And then we dated for a couple of years before that. So we've been together about six years, have two kids together. Like it worked out, but you know, if, if that first date, if she had said she wasn't okay with that, or she wasn't comfortable with that, you know, that would have been it. That would that would have been it. Yeah, that's quite an opener there, Brad. <laughs> that's going to deep levels of vulnerability. And uh, but I like how you talked about different types of friends. I think that's really important to have different types of friends in our lives, different levels of intimacy. Uh, we like to talk about intimacy as into me, you see. And the, one of the first lessons that we had to learn, and I'm still I still think about that, and it's still helpful for me to think about different levels of. Uh, intimacy, as in um, in communication, when we weren't talking deep enough uh, in vulnerability. Of course, if you're a couple uh, and you want to be deeply connected, then you need to talk at a deeper level of communication. And it, it, with the friends that we're not so vulnerable with, you're talking in facts and then opinions. That's a little bit more vulnerable, but nothing like when you're talking feelings, that's getting to a deep level of communication. And then when you start to talk about needs, that's a very deep level of communication. And so I think about that when I'm sharing with my husband um, and recognize, first of all, I need to know what I'm feeling so that I can share that with him. And we don't have to be doing that all the time, of course, but if we're never going there, which we weren't going there often enough, then you don't feel emotionally connected or, or, or as in somebody sees into me and who I am. I love that. And, and just the breakdown of, of facts and opinions. And that, I mean, that makes so much sense though. And then, you know, getting further down into emotions, like it, it makes sense in the, the, the but, I, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody put it in that exact way of, where I can like visualize the different levels of intimacy, but that makes so much sense. It's kind of interesting to me now, Brett, that opinions have become a little more volatile than they used to be. It used to be okay for you to have your opinion and me to have my opinion and for us to disagree and still be okay. And that has become a little more vulnerable these days where, um, I believe that it's become a little more, we've become a little more touchy about our opinions <laughs> with one another. And so there's a sense of vulnerability more so in sharing those opinions than there used to be. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think society as a whole has definitely become a lot more sensitive and a lot more vocal about their opinions. And I'm not sure where we're, we're going as a, as a whole, but everybody's got opinions and not everybody's opinions, right? My opinion's not always right. You know, I'm entitled to my own opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. And just because you share your opinion doesn't mean that I should be offended if I don't agree with it. Like we're allowed to have different thoughts and feelings and political beliefs and religious views. And I mean, 
what's life without choice? If we all have to do the same thing, then there's not really a, a point. We all just kind of become the same person and think the same way and do the same things. And there's no room for creativity. And I, I'm just not here for it. Well, one of the things that happens for sure is that with heightened emotions, um, we can actually like sabotage a, a, a conversation with very strong emotions that kind of aren't managed. And it's kind of a part of, I believe as part of maturity to be able to manage those emotions when someone has a different opinion than I do. And when I'm, when I'm sensing my barometer is kind of flipping out or I'm getting triggered. Um, it's a good time for me. I find to go to, I call it my thinking chair, right? It's kind of corny, but I, I don't know. I think really well in this chair and I like to go through a process of, okay, I'm being triggered here. What's going on. And what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Uh, what is really what is really worrying me here? Because there's something that's worrying me here and that's why I'm being triggered. And I find that incredibly helpful then to go through that process. It's a journaling process that I love and I teach my people to do that journaling process because then I can go into an important conversation without so much heightened emotion. I find I can sabotage a conversation before it even happens, when I'm really upset or agitated, because people sense that they feel those emotions when we're agitated before we even start. I'll give you an example of that, Brett. I was um, sitting at the kitchen table with my adult daughter, and uh, I was sharing with her I needed to have a conversation with our son, and then I just blurted out, I just don't trust him. <laughs> my daughter, I love this one. Wait till your kids get older, Brett, and they can tell you like it is. <laughs> my daughter said, Mom, that's awful. You better check that. And as soon as it was out of my mouth, I knew I had a problem. I just knew I had a problem. And so I went to my thinking chair and I started to journal out those questions that I just gave you. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What's worrying me here? And I recognized very quickly, I was stuck back in 2005 when we had challenges raising this young man, but he wasn't there anymore that's not where he was. He had grown and he had matured. And so my emotions were not current with where he was. And because I dealt with my heart before I had the conversation, which was just a boundary conversation, the conversation was really short. It was really easy. But I know that because of where I was, I would have sabotaged that conversation before we had it because I was stuck and where I didn't need to be. And so that's how, you know, checking emotions can really help before we go into an important conversation that we really don't want to sabotage. And that's how we can kind of check those, check our heart before we actually go into a conversation that we know is important to us. And that sounds very similar to a practice that we have in 12-step in where we do a, an inventory. We do like a little mini inventory at the end of the day where we check our motives and you know, we just kind of go through the day and see where we had wins, where we may have made some mistakes that we want to correct and just kind of go over our day as a whole and just kind of think about the events that happened and how we handled ourselves. And, you know, did I speak out of out of line, you know, kind of addressing the things that happened in the day and, and 
just kind of getting a gauge for where we're at. And I think a lot of that too can then help us to determine maybe what's going on with us personally. And there's so many different things that can affect our moods and our attitudes and, you know, our behaviors. And then, you know, if, like right now in the midst of having a newborn, we're not sleeping a whole lot. And my wife and I both are a little bit quicker to anger because we're not sleeping a lot and we can be kind of snappy and, and, I have to take that time and pause sometimes and be like, I, I just want to, you know, say something, but I know that the way that I'm going to say it or the tone that I'm going to use is not going to come across right. And it's not, I'm not meaning to offend, but because I'm irritable and I'm tired, it's easy for me to just kind of be snappy and whatever. But I know that I need to take a moment and pause and just kind of, you know, think about how I'm going to say things. And a lot of it is being aware of, you know, the circumstances and what's happening with me to know why I might be acting in that way. I love that, Brett. And then because you're doing that inventory every evening, you can kind of predict too, I find. And I love that prediction. Like um, if you're going to be up all night, you can predict that you're going to be tired the next day. And um, if you're like, I, I know that my husband, when he's in harvest season, it's long hours. And so we just don't have really deep discussions late at night. It's not a good thing. <laughs> I can predict <laughs> it's not going to go well. <laughs> so then um, we can kind of get in front of whatever that is, whether um, we need some rest before we have an important conversation or whether we just need to, you know, give each other a little more grace or a little bit, a little bit of benefit of the doubt before we have a conversation. And I think it's so helpful to think about getting in front of those conversations when we know we're under it, like when we have a newborn and we know that neither of us are getting the sleep that we need. Yeah, absolutely. And and there was something that my sponsor told me in the very beginning, and it's something that I've, I've hung on to and I've used it over and over and over again. But he told me in the very beginning, cause I was, I was, I was, had this situation in my personal life where I was frustrated with somebody and I didn't like the way they were behaving. And I, I just wanted to wring their neck and, you know, shake them like, just, you know, do it, do it the way I want you to do it. And obviously that's not ever going to be a good outcome. And he said, that person is doing the best that they can in this moment. And I've taken that because we're all just doing the best we can. And, you know, Today might not be my best day. I might not act the way that I want to act. I might not be the representation of the person that I want to be, but I'm doing the best that I can, and hopefully I do better tomorrow. And and I try to have that mindset when people do things that upset me. I'm like, they're doing the best they can in the circumstance that they're in. And just like you were talking about, try to have that grace for them and just you know understand that we're all on this crazy ride that we call life and none of us know what we're doing and we're all making it up as we go along. And, you know, hopefully we can have a little bit of compassion for one another and be able to extend that grace and not come down so hard on those people that are in our lives. And we can have that, uh, not have that become a resentment or have a, a, a negative outcome on that relationship. That is such a beautiful thing. And that really cracks we call it like looking for the heart that really cracks a person open when uh, someone else cares. Mm. <laughs> it, it just means so much. And even though they might not show it in the moment, 
um, you might hear much, much later that it had a huge impact on them because somebody saw them and cared enough not to take offense in that moment. Um, it can really help us get to what is really important in this moment when we have that grace for other people. Absolutely. Well, and we're getting towards the end of our time. So I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing with us if people are interested in your coaching, your speaking, your different services that you offer, where can we find you? Absolutely. I have a free resource I would love to share with oh, your people. Perfect. Is that okay? For, yeah. Okay. So we've been talking about pivotal conversations and how important they are. I just think they're so vital for life. I think communication is the lifeblood of relationships. And this free resource is called a seven day challenge. It will help you get ready for your next pivotal conversation. So this is the pivotal conversation that you've been putting off that you just know you need to have. So each day we send a short video and a simple action step that will take help you to prepare step-by-step step for your next pivotal conversation. So you can go from not knowing what to say or even how to approach that pivotal conversation to knowing exactly what it is that you want to say so that you can get ready for your next pivotal conversation. And you can pick that up at For Better Forever. That's the numerical number, forbetterforever.com forward slash challenge. And when you sign up for that seven-day challenge, you can also sign up for our weekly email. Love to have you on our email list. It's called the Tuesday Brew with Anne. And I send out weekly communication tips to help you communicate in a way that aligns with your values so that you're happy tomorrow with the way that you communicated today. And we would be so pleased to have you there on our email list. And you can keep up with all the news and what we're up to. And, and when that next course is ready as well, we uh, continue to offer how to avoid falling for a jerk. Uh, it's a five-week course, and we do that online virtually, and it's a fantastic fantastic course. It's, it's based on attachment theory, and I just love teaching that program. As well, I also have a membership for Christian women, and I work one-on-one -on -one, uh, with coaching with people as well. Oh, I love it. I had one last question before we wrap things up, and it's been kind of sitting in the back of my mind, and I'm sure that people that are listening are also wondering – how long have you and your husband been together? Uh, we've been together for, well, we've been married for 42 years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. We've been married for 42 years. And um, I just said to him recently, Brad, I said, um, I'm so glad that you didn't give up on us, that you walked through that desert time with me because now it is so sweet. And walking through that period of time just gave us the skills that we needed to be happy together. And so I want to encourage you people don't give up too soon. Don't give up too soon and get help. If you're struggling in your relationship and you're struggling to communicate, uh, get help so that you can be better together. It really is so worth it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I'm so glad that we were able to have this conversation. Great big thank you to you, Brad. Thank you for having me on the Recovery Revolution podcast. It's a privilege to be here today. And it was so great connecting with you, and I loved our conversation. I would encourage you guys to check out the link in the show notes to find out more about the free seven-day challenge. 
You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.